action. Welcome to Torn Stamps, the Trash Movie Podcast with me, Robert Gershenson, photographer and head of podcast, which can be found at movetotrash.co.uk and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies and it's Christmas it's Day. Christmas. Oh, usually Remember? you have music. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this by? This is Brenda Lee. It's by Darlene Love. Darlene Love? Yeah. Right, Darlene Love. You've never heard of her, have you? I've heard the song, I've just never heard of her. Well, I hope you have heard the song because it's from the film we're here to discuss today. Oh yeah, good point. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Right, I have a gift for you. What, we're doing it right at the start? Yeah, why not? Oh, okay. First of all, this one's your birthday present, actually, because your birthday is December 1st. It is. Uh, World AIDS Day, if anyone cares to know. You've got the loudest wrapping paper I've ever... It's um, tissue paper. Yeah. That I buy to wrap my prints in when I sell them and send uh. them off. Uh, prints you can buy on my website, robertgushenson.com. Anyway, back to your birthday. Shameless. <laughs> Shame. Shame. Where's my bell? Shame. Oh, I'm going to open it now. Amazing. Yay, happy birthday. Happy birthday to you before we celebrate Jesus' birthday. Ooh, ooh. What is it, Josh? What is it? It's Brett Easton Ellis's Less Than Zero. It's his debut novel from is back it? in the 80s. Yeah. Oh, cool. That was the first one. It looked, it, he looks a bit like me, don't you think? No. <laughs> Not <laughs> Brett Easton Ellis, Twitter, the guy on the cover. What Joshua means. <laughs> Less Than Zero, ooh. Yeah. And this is your Christmas present. Oh, thank you. Amazing. Double whammy. Double this whammy. This also feels like a book. It's well... taped very what neurotically. Do, what do you... Uh, taped hypnotically? It's taped very neurotically. Oh. Um, what else do you buy for writers but books? I know. Ooh, you have a, a cool large cover. shelf unit full of books you haven't read yet. I just Ooh. want to add to that. Okay, The Neuromancer. Neuromancer by William Gibson. Yeah. So this is the book that the Wachowskis pretty much stole from to create the Matrix. Oh, cool. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you very much. So it was one of the first kind of neo-noir cyber sci-fi books. Oh. That... It's a trilogy. Yeah. Okay. Have fun with that. And weirdly, as we were just dis- discussing Doctor Strange, the cover is very kaleidoscopic. Oh, yeah. Very kaleidoscopic. Yeah. yeah. Rob, here's your Christmas present. Oh, marvellous. Enjoy. Oh, yeah. Me thinks it's not a book. <laughs> it's lots of books. No. I like the uh, the wrapping paper. Thank you, Poundland. <laughs> yeah. Three rolls for... DVDs. Yeah. A Fantastic Woman, a film by Sebastian Lelio, director of Gloria. Uh-huh. Gloria. Have you not heard Gloria. of A Fantastic Woman? I have heard of this. Trans, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, Oscar winning. Oscar winning trans. Yeah. As good as Almodovar at his best... Good, because yeah. he's not been at his best since the skin I live in. Oh, well, yeah. And, oh, almost famous. I have not seen this for 20 years. It's so good. I rewatched it recently, and I forgot how amazing that film is. Extended edition. What more could be in there? Oh, I know. It's maybe just got more for Rosa Bolt. Um, okay, so we saw Gremlins because it's Christmas Day. Yeah. What's it about, Josh? Gremlins is about uh, this guy who buys his son a really cool Christmas present, 
which is basically a a mogwai, which is like this kind of chi- we're, we're, it's like a Chinese kind of little fluffy thing that's yeah. unbearably adorable. Like a Furby. Like a Furby. Yeah, crossed with a kind of little chihuahua, maybe, yeah. or, yeah. And um, basically, you can't... There are three rules. You can't feed it after midnight. Don't feed after midnight. You can't get it wet. Yes. And you can't let it... You can't expose it to bright lights. Mm. Bright light. Doesn't like sunlight. Hates, hates sunlight. And we learn why very quickly, because as soon as Corey Feldman, for goodness sake, Corey, yeah. knocks some water onto cute little Gizmo, who's the Mogwai... He multiplies and breeds five more mm. uh, kind of almost identical gremlins who then... Well, no, eat, they're just called mogwais at this just point. Just mogwai, right. Yeah. And then they eat after midnight and they turn into gremlins. Yes. And they run havoc at, on Christmas Day in... Christmas the, Eve, right? Christmas Eve on Christmas yeah. Day. Yes. Uh, in the town of Kingston Falls. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a festive classic, you might say. Um, full of kind of very darkly humorous, festive fun. When was the last time you watched it? Because this this film to me says this is a Joshua winning movie. <laughs> it is, but actually, as a kid, I preferred the second one. Same, isn't Fucking that weird? Hell, yeah, same. I think every like Joe Dante, who directed this and the sequel, he even he says that he preferred the second one. But I hadn't seen this in twenty five years. I'd seen yeah. bits, it's, you know, um, Christmas lists or whatever. Yeah. But I hadn't sat down to properly watch it probably since the mid to late 90s. Why? I, I don't know. I just didn't really feel the need to. And I always preferred the sequel. Yeah. The sequel was more meta. It was more playful. It had that awesome bit halfway through where it looks like the film has broken. And then they cut to the cinema and Hulk Hogan screams at the gremlins <laughs> to put the film back on. And then the film carries on. Yeah. Um, oh, so 90s. They kind of play with tropes of these kind of movies where the girl suddenly starts wanting to recount a tale of why she hates Christmas and they go now's not the time and no one's listening <laughs> yeah exactly Christopher Lee is in it yeah um, the gremlins are more playful and more funny you've got that that one that's a bit like Frank Sinatra you've got that strange woman yeah. female gremlin who goes after whoever it's, it's hilarious yeah this one I always felt it was more serious i always felt it wasn't as funny and it wasn't as jokey it was more earnest in its its tone but what surprised me watching it this time round, it's genuinely funny it's really funny yeah very funny yeah it's like the from the get-go it's hilarious like the woman storming through the town with the the snowman head and just getting pissed off at everyone and kind of doing the wicked witch thing brilliant yes um the little kid. I felt like ki- she was like, uh, what's her name? Miss Miss Fulch. Miss Fulch? Miss Gulch. Who's Miss Gulch? Gulch? From the Wizard from the Wizard of Oz. Uh, the woman who becomes the wizard yeah. on the bicycle. Yeah. Because she's like, I want your dog. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And like even the kid right at the start when he's like, I'll meet you outside. Just go. Just go. Yeah. It's, kind of, it's just really <laughs> funny. <laughs> yeah. I think that I felt the same way, weirdly, about Adam's family and the Adam's family values. I prefer Adam's Family Values. Yeah, because the first film, the first Gremlins and the first Adam's Family are kind of have a weird um, darkness to them that the sequels kind of don't necessarily play into as much. The sequels yeah. kind of are much more fun, much more reverent, um, kind of well, silly. The, you've got the origin yeah, out the way. Exactly. You often find that with these sort of things that the second one 
has more wiggle room in terms of a story. Because mm. a lot of this film is setting up what happens with these creatures. It's a discovery story, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And then it goes into Havoc and then it ends. Yeah. But at least with the second one, you've got all these strange elements. Because it's set, it's not even set in the same town. It's set in Manhattan in the TV uh, production broadcast uh, studio. It's like a high rise. Yeah. So you've got that, you've got that kind of side to it and it's more it's weird it feels more 80s the second one this one feels like a 50s movie yeah and it's great that they've got on tv in in gremlins in the first one they've got all these different films playing that mirror or say something about the events that we're seeing in this sleepy town so the first one we see is it's a wonderful life and this town looks like the town in It's a Wonderful Life. It's all very cherry pie. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows each other. There's one bank. There's one guy with a snowplow. Yeah. There's one local store. Cinema. There's one cinema. Yeah. Um, and a clock tower, because obviously it's the same town as Back to the Future. Is it really? That's the same set that they use for Back to the Future. Oh my God, you know, even, that first shot of the even, town. I didn't make the connection. I suppose because it's snowy, it's, you can't really tell, but it's the exact same set that they used yeah or rather the other way around well yeah they reused it in yeah back to the future yeah, yeah. That, fuck i know yeah <laughs> I'm gonna have to look at that again <laughs> but yeah so they have the it's a wonderful life which says something about the town they're living in and the fact that there's going to be a happy ending mm-hmm. they're going to learn a lesson yeah and then you see some other like 1950s style horror films where these creatures are being born out of like like slimy pods yeah. which completely mirrors the way that the gremlins are rebirthed after they after they eat yeah. and they become gremlins. They go from mogwais to gremlins, and then later on, either the same film that someone's watching on the TV or it's another film, but there's someone saying they're after you, they're after all of us, they're here, they're already here, you're next. Yeah, as shit begins to kick off. Well, that's because uh, Joe Dante he is of the Roger Corman school of monster movie making. Yes, so like he was very much kind of brought into the film world by Roger Corman, who was the famous monster guy in the... When was that, like... The 50s. The 50s, 50s, right. Um, And so Joe Dante's first film was Piranha, which was kind of a loving uh, kind of pastiche of that kind of monster film. Yeah. Um, And then who directed Piranha 2? Oh, yeah, James Cameron. And he got kicked off of it. Yeah. Yeah. But also, weirdly, Piranha. Piranha was like a kind of a spoof of Jaws which was Steven Spielberg. Yes. And obviously the executive producer of Gremlins yes. is Steven, Steven Spielberg. Spielberg. Steven so Spielberg it's like, presents. this is kind of cinema slightly eating itself, but in a really hilariously kind of entertaining way. Yeah. It's nice to see Judge Reinhold in a non-Judge Reinhold role. I don't even know who that is. Judge Reinhold? No, no idea. So he is in Beverly Hills Cop. He's Exo. That guy, I've, the tall guy. I've not seen that film since I was about 10. So in this film, he is the colleague of billy who takes the piss at the bar oh that Him, guy that guy that's judge reinhold yeah like the owen wilson of his day yeah because he is he's been in tons of stuff that i recognize him from but mm. i have no idea what he was in home alone four <laughs> ringing commendation <laughs> <laughs> not even the first home alone chris columbus is like nah you can wait <laughs> or the third one he's in home <laughs> yeah. alone four oh god directed dvd yeah which no one's seen apart from you. No, maybe. Corey Feldman is in this movie, as you mentioned before. The same year as the his debut, Friday the 13th. Oh, Friday the 13th. Part four, yeah. The year before Goonies. 
Yes, but he looks yeah. older in this than he did in Friday, in Friday the 13th. 13th. I guess. Oh, yeah. I wonder when he actually shot it. Billy in this film, the guy that was playing Billy. Yeah. My God. When he gets his shirt he off. He is a hottie. <laughs> I know. I don't like the fact that he's got the same hair as his mum. No. But profile, he's beautiful, They are he? sharing the same wig. They are. Because yeah. they never appear in the same scene properly <laughs> together. Um, but no, he's, he's a hottie. And he, the guy, I don't know who, I don't know who he is. Zach Galligan. Zach Galligan. But he infuses this character with this amazing small town innocence. Well, because he's basically playing himself, apparently. But in a way, it's a coming of age for him. Yeah. He's suddenly seeing the dangers of the suburbs. It's very David Lynchian. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's also nice that he's not kind of like a totally kind of bumbling fool. Yeah. Like the girl clearly likes him already, mm-hmm. but he just hasn't made a move and she hasn't made a move. Yeah. And it's nice that... You know, when they do kiss, it doesn't feel like, oh, God. It just feels really sweet and yeah. nice. And you feel bad for her because she's recounted this horrific story about her dad dying <laughs> in the chimney. You feel bad for him. Yeah, that's really dark. <laughs> the fact that he was going down the chimney, they didn't know where he was for three days. And then they found him yeah. in the chimney. He'd snapped his neck. It's awful. That's actually an urban legend. That's like a pre-existing urban legend that they kind oh, of wove into this. Yeah. And Spielberg wanted to cut it because he thought it was too dark. It's perfect. Um, but Joe Dante was like, no, it's staying. So they, you, They're a great pair, aren't they? The mum and the son. Well, the, no, the, the son the and, and the... Phoebe Cates. Yeah, the, I mean, they're, yeah. Very, they're very sweet. It seems very organic. It doesn't feel yeah. forced. It feels yeah. realistic that, you know, in high school, a kid of his status would get with a girl of her status. Yeah. But she plays down. Because before this, she did... Um, is it Fun Times at Richmond High and stuff? Where... There's like that really famous scene where she comes out of the swimming pool in a red bikini that apparently guys of a certain age are just like, oh my God, Phoebe I don't Cates. think I've ever seen Red uh, Times. No. It's all right, it's all right. But she kind of plays down that sexiness that she'd become known for. Like in the Gremlin, she's got that kind of, that weird winged kind of bank teller well, she outfit kind of she 50s. wears. And... Yeah, yeah, that's true. But no, as you, the mum is awesome as well. Yes. Like, and I was so happy that she was given that scene where she yeah. can go feral and kill the the, the gremlins. Yeah. Because otherwise, she was she would have just been, you know, the 1950s housewife trope. Yeah. Saying, no, you got to do the don't do that. Come back for dinner. Yeah. But she goes fucking crazy. It's great. She, she just, kills one with a with a blender immediately. One with the microwave, and then she stabs the fuck out of another one. <laughs> yeah. Which is great because yeah, you're right. That kind of mum character normally in a lot of films like this that you know Chris Columbus wrote this. He yes. also did Home Alone and stuff like that. Like, and the first two Harry Potters. Yeah, you get rid of the parents. You don't want the parents to really have much of a, a play in what the kid's doing. Oh, yeah. Um, and with Gremlins, the, the mum doesn't really have much to do with Billy's hero journey, but she does get her own hero moment where yes. she discovers these disgusting pods in his bedroom, which is <laughs> a hilarious kind of analogy for teenage boys' bedrooms. Where it's just like, what the fuck is going on in <laughs> That's here? That's a good point, yeah. And then she goes downstairs and just rampages through the kitchen. It's like, get out of my kitchen! And just kills them all. <laughs> the invention... And she doesn't hesitate. No, she doesn't. She proper goes for it. Yeah, she's like, she hits She's that blender immediately. her house. Right. Very American. If it had been the living room, would it have had the same thing? No, because the, the, the two main things that are 
unique to the kitchen of that fucking blender and the microwave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But she's spent all her time in that kitchen, really. Yeah. So it's it really the first time we character. see her, she's in the kitchen. She's chopping onions, watching It's a Wonderful Life. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. The I think the the dad, mm. even though he makes all these cool inventions that seemingly don't work, I think he's still seemingly a bit of a success because a they live in that house. Yeah. And b he just willingly without batting an eye, drops $200 for a Mogwai. Yeah. Well, I don't understand how he makes any money. No. His inventions don't work. They actually are a health hazard. <laughs> yeah. It's hilarious. It's really tragic as well, though, because it's like this guy who's kind of trying to live his dream and his wife is humouring him and his son is kind of like begrudgingly using these shit inventions that explode in his face. Um but he's never going to make it, is he? Unless he. But then, where's all the money coming I from? I know. Maybe he had a really rich grandfather or something. Maybe. Here's yeah. a question: Why do the extra mogwais? Because you know, uh, Gizmo gets wet mm. and then multiplies, and then they eat. Why do they come out bad? Yeah, actually, my boyfriend Tom mentioned something about this. He was like, "I think that Gizmo is actually female." Because all of the gremlins, all of the mogwai who turn into gremlins and are complete arseholes, they're kind of portrayed as male. And Gizmo, Gizmo isn't necessarily either. What makes you think they're... Well, they wear like, they wear men's clothing and they're kind of cackling away like in a male kind of way. Yeah. (laughs) No, I I, I can see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas Gizmo is kind of really sweet and... He sings and he's friendly and he's lovely, <laughs> which is obviously a feminine thing. <laughs> I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play Gizmo singing because it's the most adorable thing ever. <laughs> that was his first number one <laughs> in Belgium. It's so cute when the lights turn off and he's like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's to do with how the Mogwai is born. Because there's no, there's no um, explanation other than the fact that if you get them wet, they multiply. But that doesn't rule out that they could be born through regular, let's say, hmm. uh, procreation. So who's to say that uh, Gizmo wasn't born by the mum and dad fucking and then the mum carrying Gizmo to term and giving birth right. regularly? Yeah, Is it the fact that it's such a trauma when they get wet and they're born in such trauma because Gizmo feels, he sounds like he's in pain and he's shaking and they yeah. sort of pop off him like furballs. Yeah. Is that trauma then causing them to be bad? Yeah, maybe. Like if he, if Gizmo had just had a drink of water, would he have got pregnant inside his belly and then given birth? Well, it seems to be only when the, the water comes into contact with their skin yeah. or their fur outside. I love how when... When they touch water, it starts to glow. It's so... Like when at the very end... Oh, is at the end sticking his, his, finger in, in, his just, um, gremlin finger in? Yeah, into the fountain. Oh, and also in the swimming pool. Yeah. Yes. How did they make the water do that kind of eruptive thing? Oh, probably it's, just jets of air underneath, I imagine. Very, it was very effective. Does Gizmo have intelligence? Yeah, because he learns words, doesn't he? He's like... Yeah. And he says, bye, Billy, at the end, which is utterly heartbreaking. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, Billy. And then he says, bye, woof, woof as well. <laughs> From inside the box. Dog's like, I'm not woof, woof. That dog stole every single oh, scene he was in. Fuck yes. When the car shoots by, and he's, he's like, like what? <laughs> what the? 
And when they the opened the though, box. The entire film was CGI except the dog. Oh, uh, the dog's real. The dog's real. Yeah. But he does. He sings. He plays piano. Yeah, he, he corrects the piano playing. He blank. reads. They know. he's reading. He com- reads signs and stuff, don't he? He's they? reading comics in bed. <laughs> and he und- and he picks up language, you know. He he's like saying "uh oh" when he sees yeah. the slimy gremlins, and then he picks up "neat" when he's reading the comics. <laughs> so and they all is... start saying "yum yum," don't they? Uh, yum, 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 yum. It's like um, it's like Suspiria. Oh God! Yum 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 yum. What's the other thing that the gremlins do that I thought they know? They know something innately oh but that's what i was just coming on to now ah. so they they uh the other mogwais they are sort of pack animals the yeah. very quickly a hierarchy is is established that the one with the fin the one with yeah. the, like the tuft of white hair he spike, spike he or she it is they mm. if we're going to be woke yeah they uh is the leader of they is the they leader. Is the leader. <laughs> That's how ridiculous the grammar is now. But that that spike is it spike? Yeah, he's the leader of that little I think it's gang. Spike, yeah, the one with the fin. Because he puts um, Gizmo on the the dartboard immediately. Yeah, but he just instantly he just seems to be. Maybe he was the first one out. Maybe yeah. that's it. But they they in, innately and immediately understand the concept of time yeah and therefore the don't eat after midnight because they fuck with the clock which yeah. means that billy gives them chicken after midnight and then they turn into and gizmo's like uh-uh uh-uh i know not to do that yeah and isn't it but basically gizmo's their mother or their dad and they yeah. treat him like shit yeah it's horrible it's like spiders that eat their mum it's just what you know how like baby spiders eat their dead mother no when they're hatched yeah so the mum will immediately die? Pretty much. And that, like, she provides the food for her new, newly hatched, uh, you know, children. Everyone's got a job to do. <laughs> I know. Everyone's got mm. a job Imagine to do. Imagine your first meal being a dead spider. Mm. I'm a vegan. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any corn spider? <laughs> they have school right up to Christmas Eve in America, apparently. Oh, yeah, they do. Do you think that they needed that teacher? Was he just a bit of filler? Because he doesn't really accomplish anything. Um, no, he gives them the information about like the idea of pods and chrysalis. And I True. get that's the reason why there's suddenly a teacher in Stranger Things who gives them access to the, the radio. Mm. And, and the faculty about, as well. And the faculty. Yeah. But more so, the faculty's not born out of this kind of 80s stuff no. that Stranger Things clearly is. But so he's like the mad scientist character, isn't he, I suppose? He's like the, the modern day version of... The scientist who knows something and explains. Yeah, what's going not the on. mad scientist. Yeah, because he's not mad. He seems he's a very straight character. Yeah, yeah. and he dies a hideous death. Is he actually dead then? Well, he's not moving, and I would imagine the gremlin has killed him. I wonder what he used. Did you just give him an air bubble? In what do you butt? mean? Like, what kind of chemicals would they have had in a school well, classroom? I imagine the gremlin must have clawed him. No, to because death. he's got a needle in his bum. Oh, yeah. Oh, maybe it's just passed out then. If this film had been made with the CGI that we have now, do you think we would be as affectionate towards the CGI version as we are towards the 1984 version? I was thinking this the whole way through because the the like the models, the puppets are so well done and you like they're constantly moving and constantly mm. doing something. Even from the first moment you see um, Gizmo in the box in the living room, he's he's always moving and like it looks so realistic and like yes we've got mo- mocap and like rocket raccoon is mocap yeah but 
as much as you love Rocket Raccoon, um, you, you still kind of you're aware that he is a CGI creation. Yes, and you know that you know that he's been performed by somebody. But there, there is just something really magical about a puppet. Like that's why they went back to doing Yoda as a puppet in the Last Jedi. Yeah, because there, there is a massive difference yeah. between even if you if you watch um, Episode One, Star Wars Episode One, Phantom Menace, the early. He's when, a puppet, isn't he? He's no, he's not a puppet to. Yeah, he's a puppet to start with, and mm. then when he's walking, pacing back and forth, talking to you and McGregor, saying you can train this boy, that becomes CGI. So there's a mm. massive difference there. And if you look at the puppet from Return of the Jedi or uh, Empire yeah. Strikes Back, and compare it to the little dots of pixels jumping around in Attack of the Clones, yeah. there is there is complete differences there. Yeah, it just doesn't. There's something about the weight of a puppet and the the fact that you know that even if the creature itself isn't real, you know that everything else about it is real and you could touch it. It's a character. Yeah, it's great. Choices have been made that this puppet will move this way, yeah. this puppet will move this way. Stan Winston always said, look, we can make the most amazing dinosaur puppets for Jurassic Park and we can make the most amazing robots for uh, Terminator. But if we don't infuse them with character and the choices that an actor would have made then it's just going to be a lump of latex and a lump of metal yeah gizmo has so much character yeah and the choices that the puppeteers have made have come from what they believe to be the character not Mm. oh it's a furry animal we must act like this no gizmo acts in a certain way Mm. that's why they made those choices and it's just impressive that you know you see behind the scenes shots of of jurassic park and um, I, I must have seen some behind-the-scenes shots of Gremlins because it's kind of like these dozens and dozens of cables coming out the back of the thing yeah. and men and women lying underneath the floor kind of with their arms in the air <laughs> yeah. and one of them's looking after one eye, the other one's looking after the other eye, one's twitching one arm and it's, one's it's twitching how the other. The, the Muppets were made. It's incredible. You know, all the, all the stages were raised up Yeah. so puppeteers can stand underneath and operate them. Yeah, there's a great picture from behind the scenes of the dark crystal where um jim henson's got a gelfling on his shoulder and he's got his arm up in the air and it's just like you're you must have no blood in your fingers by the end of the day because you're (laughs) it just looks so uncomfortable but i'm thinking about the scene in the kitchen if it was cgi those gremlins would be jumping and bouncing around all over the place just because we can but because they were puppets they were very stationary. One was on the countertop. One was over here. Yeah. It becomes... It allows the scene to become a bit slower and have a bit of a groove to it. Mm. That fight scene between Christopher Lee and Yoda is terrible. It's awful. Because it's just a mess of blur and pixels and it's bullshit. There's no weight and there's no groove and no rhythm mm. to it. Yeah. But at least with, the, with, with puppets... You're limited, and I think it's that limitation that gives the scene its character. Mm. In the swimming pool scene, yeah, if it was CGI, the camera would have delved into the water. We would have seen the gremlins merging and changing. But really, what we see is just smoke and a bit of bubbling water, and our imaginations and take the, over. Ah, but our imaginations ah. take over, and it just becomes... Yeah. You know some shit's going down. Well, we build it up in our head, which is... 
it's almost like the, the, the filmmaker saying, well, we'll only show them so much because we know they'll take over. Yeah. Like the audience will take over. Did you, did you know that they, early, early attempts at um, doing the Gremlins, they used monkeys? They, they like detested, they no. tested monkeys. <laughs> That's awful. And the, they had to abandon the idea because a test monkey panicked when they, they had, had to wear a Gremlin head. And they were like, yeah, let's maybe just not use monkeys for this. That reminds me of, I just read the two, I just read the, um, a book that just came out detailing the entire making of of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh, what's that? I've never heard of that. Uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey? Yeah. I don't know, maybe we'll do it on the podcast, yeah. episode 50. Um, yeah. Kubrick at one point wanted to utilise baby chimpanzees. Oh yeah, I have heard of this. And it just didn't work well because they needed to, um, they didn't want this to look like monkeys. They needed to... Um, put some latex and stuff on them and those monkeys just did not <laughs> want to play ball. Yeah, I don't did blame them. Did not want to play ball. Do you think this film is like a modern fairy tale? Yeah, because it starts out with that, the narration, doesn't it, with the warning. And then the, the closing narration is, you better watch out because there could be a gremlin in your house. I, you know I have a, an issue with voiceovers, Talking. right? Yeah, yeah. I'm perfectly fine with this voiceover. Well, because it's like this kind of omnipotent, is that it, the word? Yeah. Kind of. You're the writer. He's like a narrator. He's just kind of like, this is my story I'm going to tell you. I've not talked for a while, but I'm yeah. still here. <laughs> <laughs> but it feels like a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. Well, they, they show a clip from like Twilight that. Zone, don't they? Do they? Well, they show a clip from something that Joe Dante and Spielberg worked on. That was kind oh, of a, a Twilight Zone Oh, that must have been the Twilight Zone movie from the year before. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yes. Yeah, I think it works for this. And oh, it absolutely works. Because it's, you know, there's, there's the, the idea that something magical comes to a quiet little village hmm. and little shit town. goes mental. Yeah. That's kind of, uh, you know, a, a trope of these kind of grim fairy tales. Yeah. And this, I don't think this would have actually worked as either just a pure fairy tale or as a pure horror film it needed to be that comedy horror yes um which is something that kind of grew out of it was really that was a new concept in kind of especially in hollywood really like comedy horror only really came about in 1981 like as an actual kind of this is what we're going to make kind of thing with what? With, with an american werewolf in london oh yeah and the howling yes. and john landis who did american werewolf he wrote this script and everyone was like, this is just isn't going to work. Like, what yeah. is it? Is it scary? Is it funny? Like, what the fuck is this? And he was like, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and he did it. And then Joe Dante did The Howling, which similarly was a horror film, but was very tongue in cheek. Characters were named after famous directors and filmmakers and all that kind of stuff. And um, so, of course, when Spielberg wanted to make a comedy horror like Gremlins, he went straight to Joe Dante because he's the guy who helped create the comedy horror kind of hybrid genre do you know why he didn't go to john landis uh no because of the accident that happened on set on the twilight zone movie oh really mm. ah vic morrow and a kid yeah uh, a vietnamese child they got decapitated <gasps> when a helicopter fell in on the set in the set and chopped their heads off no and it brought into um it brought into the public consciousness that the film industry didn't really have um, working regulations for children. Yeah. This happened in the middle of the night. So Spielberg and... Because uh, Spielberg was an executive producer on the film. Uh -huh. 
and obviously Landis was in in charge of his own story because it was a it was a, a three part yeah uh, anthology anthology so Spielberg had one bit Joe Dante had another bit um, John Landis had one bit and then there was tagged on then there was a there was a fourth bit like a I framing. Thought. Well, there was a fourth bit, but I can't remember who directed that. But that was the one with um, John Lithgow on the plane. Oh. Um, but John Landis had an accent on his. So Spielberg and John Landis had a very frosty. And I, don't th- I still don't think they talk. Oh, wow. Still I mean, that is horrific. Talk. Yeah. So that's probably why John Landis wasn't invited to uh, come yeah. and direct. That makes sense. Yeah. And cause... soon after that, that, John Landis made his best film, uh, Trading Places. And he hasn't made a decent film since. Oh, yeah. Well, ditto Joe Dante. Like, he's just not really done much either. Yeah, I had a quick look, which is strange of me because I don't do research. Because <laughs> I, I couldn't remember if he directed... Who is this guy? I couldn't remember if he directed Captain America, but that's not him. That's Who, Joe Johnston. Right. Very similar careers up until a point. Yeah, because like he also worked with Spielberg. stuff, Rocketeer. Yeah. Yeah. Rocketman. No, no, Rocketeer, yeah. 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 Rocketman's next year's yeah. John thing. <laughs> yeah. um, at times, and I was really impressed with this... Gremlins plays out like a silent movie. There's no dialogue. And I'm thinking about the kitchen murder scene. I'm thinking about the, de- the, the long department store scene, the YMCA swimming pool scene, mm-hmm. the cinema scene. So no wonder it's a great film to show kids in any culture because you don't need to, A, either speak English or B, understand the intricacies of what the characters are saying because they're not saying anything. Mm. It's all yum 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 yum. Ah, gizmo kaka. <laughs> Did they actually say kaka? Yeah, when he chucked him down the um the uh, oh the, uh, the laundry the garbage. Shoot. Yeah, the laundry yeah. shoot gizmo kaka. <laughs> but it's great. It really plays out very very visually, and it's not actors sounding off. It's not actors standing and looking off camera going, he's got a gun. Oh my God, watch out, he's got this. You actually see mm. the, the, the gremlins do these things, which is a, a, an amazing collaboration between how the director wants to tell the story visually and the puppeteers bringing that to life. Yeah. It's quite an achievement. And also I noticed that there, it's very lean in, and even with things like when Phoebe Cates tells her horrific story about her dad coming down the chimney, um, that end that's that kind of scene ends on her face just a bit like that's why i don't believe in santa or something and then you don't get a scene with billy being like oh that is so awful i'm so, i yeah. feel so sorry for you the next scene is them coming out of the building and just carrying on there's no melodrama yeah exactly it's just like oh i'm there's really no sorry melodrama happened, it's it's earnest up until a point yeah because the main tone is horror and comedy yeah that's all it cares about it's not like, caring about the the stair lift scene <laughs> But it's it's perfect. It's like Buster Keaton. Yeah. The way that you hear the... Ooh, then it cuts to outside. There's a beat. Then she flies through the window, crashing. See her go... She goes the full... <laughs> the full length of the frame. Yeah. Then you hear... Then there's a beat. And then you hear her hit the floor. Yeah. It's perfect. And she was really making all the choices, that oh, woman. Oh <laughs> making God. all the choices. When I was she a was kid, earning her $60 day rate, she wasn't was. she? When I was a kid, I didn't realise that was the same woman who'd been to the bank because she's not wearing her red wig in the house. So as a kid, I was like, who's this old lady? Uh, The snowplow scene. Snowplow scene. Brilliant. Brilliant. I love the wife who's just kind of like, she's just decided that even though her husband treats her like shit, 
she's just going to like laugh and smile through it. Well, she's a 1950s housewife. Yes, she is. And our mum, the mum of the hero, yeah. is not. Yeah, true. And the Snow White scene is brilliant. Uh, how, like, how can they still show the film? What do you mean? With that in, in the film. They would have just had like a indefinite license yeah, to use it. Because often that kind of license expires. Like that's why TV shows get taken off streaming ah. services and stuff because music well it's Spielberg so he must have said I need it for life need it for life yeah but Snow White That's was great. the first one I saw in the cinema was it yeah oh. a re-release I wasn't yeah, I was alive like, in 1928 on <laughs> um, travelled through time but I love I love that scene so good well it's just it's just weird isn't it that the gremlins love the dwarf so much like what what's that telling us about the gremlins <laughs> well for me the reason they chose Snow White is because they have this amazing-looking witch who makes herself look haggard to do evil. Oh, yeah. And that's kind of the arc of the gremlin. Oh, yeah. They look really cute and fluffy. Yeah. Then they make themselves. Yeah. Like, they want it, to be It's not gremlins. Billy's mistake. He doesn't accidentally feed them after midnight unless they make that choice themselves, the gremlins. They've... They fucked themselves up. Yeah. So they've gone from looking furry and cute to haggard and, and gremlin and disgusting and old. Why do you think that Gizmo just doesn't want to be a gremlin? Maybe he's got that higher intelligence. Is it, he is just, it a he choice? just knows. Yeah. Maybe I he... choose to be gay. Like, <laughs> I choose to be gay. <laughs> he's got to go to uh, pray the Gizmo away camp. <laughs> he um, he is Gizmo erased. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's just meant to be that pure, wholesome American kid. He is a foil for Billy, isn't he? But in, in, in like the, not foil because that would be the opposite. He is the gizmo ver- the he's the, the gremlin hero. version of Billy. He's the the Mogwai version of Billy. Yeah, like the nerd. Yeah, yeah, he is. And did you know that in the original script, uh, Gizmo was meant to turn into the lead uh, gremlin? No, that wouldn't have been good. No, it'd been shit. So the 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 first draft of the script. Obviously, it was good enough to get Steven Spielberg's attention. Mm. Um, it was actually written just as like a spec thing by Chris Columbus, who was kind of just trying to break into the industry. Um, but he wrote this really dark, weird script that involved um, killing the dog. The mum, mum after the kitchen scene, she actually dies and gets decapitated oh and her God. head gets thrown down the stairs. <laughs> so when Billy comes home at that point and opens the front door, her head was supposed to come rolling down the stairs. I kind of want um, to see that. <laughs> and that's strange, right? Because... You know, when most people say Chris Columbus, he, of all, probably, you know, the filmmakers that came out from that Spielberg era, he's probably the one that people think, ugh, bland. But when you look at his films, They're not at there all. is a strange darkness to yeah. all his films. Mrs. Doubtfire is really tragic. Home Alone yeah. has two adults stalking and terrorizing <laughs> a child yeah. twice. Yeah. And Harry Potters have a certain darkness to them. Yeah. Yeah. People forget that Chris Columbus, I guess because he's mainstream, people confuse mainstream with sanitized maybe. Yeah. And he's not really sanitized because Gremlins has some really fucked up stuff in it. But also he's not the most stylized. You know, he's... Right. He's almost like another... What the fuck? Ron Howard. I yeah. always forget his name. I always want to call him Richard Cunningham, but that's not his name. Who's Richard Cunningham? His character from Happy Days. Oh. <laughs> but he's kind of like that. You know, if you want your film to run on time, be very economical, make all the money, actors like working with you, 
you go get Chris Columbus or or God, Ron, Howard. Ron Howard. <laughs> <laughs> that's how bland they are. Yeah. Um, where? Well, they're reliable. They are. That's the thing. They're reliable, but you wouldn't normally associate. You know, you could look at a Kubrick movie and go, "That's a Kubrick movie." Yeah. You could look at a Lynch movie, just pictures of it. You know, printed out. That's a David Lynch movie. You couldn't possibly put five pictures of a movie on the wall one of them is only Chris Columbus and get someone to pick out oh that's a Chris Columbus movie without knowing who Chris Columbus was mm, I guess so I guess he's just kind of synonymous with um, family films really yeah yeah. which makes Gremlins that much more audacious because he's never really done anything like Gremlins since Did he, was he involved in the second one? Um, I don't know actually I'm not sure. When was the second one? That was the early 90s. That was 1990. 1990? Yeah, it was written so by So maybe someone... not. So no, he, he wasn't. He was involved in Home Alone by then. It was written by Charles Haz. 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 Who um, has done nothing else of note, really, by the looks oh. of it. He's a... Yeah. Has been. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Christmas joke. Oh. How did the old Chinese man find Billy's house at the end? Because the dad gave him his business card at the start of the film. Oh, did he? I assume it had his address on it. Oh, fuck. Okay, that makes it so much sense. I just thought he was just really mystical, mystical. and he just knew the way there. No. No, he, um, yeah, he gets the card at the start of the film. Do you think he killed his grandson? Because uh, <laughs> he doesn't turn up with the grandson. <laughs> Never to be seen again. Do you think that the, the film is kind of like, it's obviously the sign of the times. The film is very xenophobic. Like the old, the older guys like, don't buy foreign. Yeah, you know, my, my <laughs> yeah. American tractor, which actually well, mows him down. I, I thought, yeah, that is a sign of the times, but also a sign of our new times. Yeah, in, under the Trump administration. Oh well, yeah, there's that as well. Buy your American cars. Don't trust the weird, like Chinese Mogwai thing. It'll eat you. Mogwai thing. It's, it, it does. You could easily read it as don't trust the Easterners. You know, don't trust the the Orients because they're, they've got mystical things that are going to fuck you up. The design of Chinatown was gorgeous, I thought. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And I loved how he, um, he was like, you know, when he got a case of the old dragon breath, and there's, <laughs> there's a sculpted dragon next to him. Yeah, I don't think get away with certain things like that. Yeah. Would you watch it again this Christmas? Well, I watched it this morning, so I'm not sure I'd, I'm going to oh. watch it again. <laughs> I'm not going to watch it again with like Christmas is today, am I? Uh, so this festive season, yes, exactly. It's I've I really really enjoyed it this time again. I always love it. When was the last time you watched it? I can't even because I was like, I mean, I said twenty five years ago. For me, it was probably about seven or eight years. Okay, but um, it's just great. But I think because I had the second one recorded off TV, I watched that mm. on a loop, and the first one I didn't have. So if I was going to watch either of them, I probably would now watch the second one, which isn't Christmas. Or oh, is it Christmas? I don't think so. But this one is barely Christmas. It doesn't have to be said at Christmas, does it? No, that's true. But It I, could have been his birthday. Because don't they go shopping? Um, Murray and his wife, when they come to New York, I know they're just visiting family or something. Yeah. Yeah, they're not here shopping for Christmas. But um, if do you, do you think they should do a third one? Because there's this whole thing of like... No, it's because being... it would be CGI. But would it though? Yeah. I think they would augment it with CGI, but I think they would be clever enough to actually use puppets. I don't think... They know people wouldn't accept them without puppets. If JJ was involved... Right. If they got JJ to do it, then it would be... Yeah. It, it would, would be, be great because it would be non-CGI. Or like you said, it would be like, you know, like the, the new Star Wars films. Yeah. Lots of puppets up front. C- up, puppets in the front, CGI in the back. <laughs> <laughs> 
So that was Gremlins, directed by Joe Dante. Jump onto iTunes, give us a review, and give us a follow, because we're going to be back in the new year with Season 2. We're going to be back tomorrow also with a special Boxing Day episode, and then in a few days' time on New Year's Eve, we're going to be back with a rundown of our top five and our bottom five films of 2018. And we are on Twitter, so give us a follow at TornStubsPod and give us a comment. We're off to eat after midnight. Oh, God. Well, we've got a whole bowl full of M&Ms. Actually, maybe we'll just get wet. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Cut.